The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, rosé is on a roll. Sales have been soaring as consumers celebrate the faintest ray of sunshine by sinking the pink. The boom has prompted the IWSC to recharge its judging of the category, uh, reflecting the rosé revolution. Master of Wine, Dercio Viana Jr. was in charge of that process and he's here to chat about what makes a rosé great. We'll also have news of some of those top results so you know where to find the best examples. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. It has been a rose revolution, a style of wine that was once sneered at by Cognoscenti. These days, it's so much more than a poolside thirst quencher. Thanks to innovation and investment, chiefly in Provence, but elsewhere as well, the rosé category has seen incredible sales growth, with rosé now accounting for one in every 10 bottles of wine sold in the UK. Last year, export sales from Provence alone were up 9% on the year and an incredible 64% compared with five years earlier. Uh, The French are mad for rosé. They drink more of it than white wine, followed by the UK and the USA too. Everywhere uh, seems to love it, really. These days, uh, rosé from Provence is uh, very much premium in status. The wines sitting alongside fine champagne in the fridges of the best beachfront bars. The sales boom prompted the IWSC, sponsors of this programme, to recharge uh, the judging of the category and Master of Wine, Dersu Viana Jr., a member of the IWSC's senior judging committee, uh, was put in charge of the process. Um, I'm glad to say I was uh, judging um, under his auspices uh, last week. Great news is he He's here now. Uh, welcome, Junior. David, uh, thank you for having me back after I think this is my third event. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to to share what I know about Rosé. But I'm telling you, I already learned a few new stats, which uh, uh, I thank you for. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, I did my homework. Um, <laughs> the sales figures are uh, pretty extraordinary. And, and, and that's a great place to start because you've been working in the wine world for at least three decades, I, th- I think. And tell me how in that time, rosé wine and the perception of it has changed. David, in, in 30 years, it, it has changed massively. And uh, I think in the past, rosé was regarded as... Uh, unsophisticated. I think the winemakers started to to treat the category more seriously. We're going back 30 years ago and then their the own trade uh, increased the offering. Uh, and I remember because at that time I was working as a buyer on, for, for a distributor supplying the own trade and we started to treat more seriously. The retailers uh, responded and helped you to, to encourage this this trend. And I think then that's when the consumer began to, to discover how how delicious and how versatile rosé uh, can be. Uh, I think today rosé, uh, it's a very important category for, I think, any serious business. So hence why the IWSC that you mentioned created a, this uh, special category, and I think rightly so. So in 30 years, 
the whole category uh, came a long, long way. You do still encounter some of the, let's say, the old guard in the wine trade who are still a bit sniffy, a bit sneery about rosé. Um, why mm-hmm. do you think that is? I think, as I said, I think rosé was, uh, first, it, it was perceived as, as a, not very sophisticated. In the past, we've seen rosé as, a, and we have to be fair, a lot of the rosé that, that was made in the past, it, was, it wasn't made as rosé, it was simply a byproduct of, of red wine making. So the quality wasn't that great either. So that didn't help uh, Rosé's reputation. But things have changed massively. We can talk uh, in a few minutes, but things have changed massively in terms of how we perceive how the wine was made and how we enjoy Rosé. I remember when I first went to Provence in the early 1990s, mm-hmm. it was possible to go to one of the cooperative wineries. Uh, in this case, it was in Ramatuel. And you could take <laughs> a plastic container and you could fill it up. Uh, we were staying in a, uh, an apartment. You could uh, take a five-litre plastic container, fill it up with rosé, stick it in the fridge. It was quite rustic compared mm-hmm. to uh, today's uh, wines from Provence. But it was delicious. It was lovely cold. Uh, it refreshed us on holiday. And I remember mm-hmm. coming back uh, with a bit of a thirst for rosé to kind of recreate that experience. And we're talking the 1990s here. And at that stage, a lot of what the UK market was being offered was actually a sort of slightly saccharine sweet kind of blush Zinfandel style, wasn't it? Extremely heavy, extremely sweet, cloying. Uh, yeah, and it didn't resemble anything that we drink that at the time we were drinking in the south of France. David, to be honest, I can't even remember any significant uh, remotely good quality rosé at the time. I know Matteo's rosé was around, obviously. Uh, there was some American uh, brands, extremely sweet, extremely rich and and not refreshing at all, but honestly, yeah, if, if you went to the south of France uh, and experienced the, those wines there and came back to the UK, no, they, they were not here at the time, no. And when did you kind of first get into it in a kind of serious way? Honestly, I cannot place a, a time or, or, or an occasion. It was not a, a love at first sight. I cannot even uh, pin the interest to a specific bottle, but I was, I was buying wine for a large distributor and I had to select wines from entry level to some of the best wines in the world. Uh, it included rosé, so it was a gradual, it was a gradual process. I, I, I was gaining knowledge and I was gradually enjoying discovering different styles, including, included, uh, including rosé, but it wasn't, uh, uh, I, I don't have, like a, 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 as I said, a, a moment to pin down. It was just a, a gradual process. And uh, I remember in, again, the 1990s, there was a perception completely ridiculous and wrong and, and just ludicrous, but there was a kind of perception that it was a female wine, I think. And I used to, I've always loved uh, rosé wines. These days, it is, that couldn't, I mean, that, that, that nonsense has finally been rightly stuck in the bin, hasn't it, of history? I agree, absolutely. In the beginning, as, exactly as you described, it was associated with the female drinkers. It was the wine for sunshine, for outdoor enjoyments. If you think of barbecue, if you think of a picnic, that's what rosé was for. It was heavily associated with, with the summer. And I remember as a buyer, it was, it was difficult to, to forecast because you knew that you had to sell the, the rosé in the summer because uh, sales, sales would peak in the summer 
and uh, it would fade as fast as as uh, as as the tourist sentence. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it, it, you have to really sell at the time. Maybe if you didn't sell that, if you have some stocks left, you had a more change, which was during um, Valentine's. But uh, uh, that's where it was. But the, the perception has shifted uh, significantly. I think some of, one of the reasons, some of the reasons, and I think I described earlier, was an improvement of, of the quality and and how the whole chain uh, treated uh, the category. But also, I think partly of the uh, you, you just mentioned that you you went to the south of France and when you came back you want to 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 have the same experience. But there is a, 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 an aspiration by not only the British but Northern European to to live the sort of Mediterranean lifestyle. So that that has helped Brazil a little bit. It's also linked to uh, healthy living. So we're eating less meat. We're eating lighter. We're eating more salads. We're eating more white meat and fish. I think that does also help uh, the, the the consumption of, of rosé. So the, that going back to your your initial uh, thought, yeah, it was it was a wine that was associated with with uh, uh, females, but now it, now that is it's long gone, thankfully. So yeah, absolutely, and um, you make a a really good point about the kind of style of cuisine that we're we're going for as well. Um, of course, say wine is is the style of, of Provence. It's, you know, 90% of the wine produced uh, across those regions of Provence. And they have been the architects of its astounding success with a huge amount of kind of technological investment. They've They've really, in the last couple of decades, totally transformed the way the wines are made, haven't they? Yeah, I think they, they have done amazing work, uh, not so much uh, in the winery, but also in uh, starting uh, from the vineyards. Uh, and, and, and they are rightly perceived um, as the benchmark uh, for, for Rosé, as, as uh, a Champagne is for sparkling wine, or Burgundy is for Pinot Noir. So that revolution started uh, roughly just after the Second uh, World uh, War. And uh, that's when, when movie stars and uh, used to go to south of France and enjoy the lifestyle. And I think everyone's uh, looking to that. Uh, started, they started to enjoy also um, the wines from, from the area. And um, fast forward, we see now more ambitious producer, people trying to achieve, uh, uh, make great wines, uh, exploring and understanding uh, more the terroir using uh, modern uh, technology, modern equip equipment. And um, yeah, this all this, is, it has been, a, I'm not sure if it's been a revolution or an evolution, but it certainly happened in the last uh, uh, 20 years. And obviously this requires a lot of money and investment, but also time. And today, I think everyone would agree, in my opinion anyway, Provence, Provence is the, the benchmark for the, the epitome of, of, of fashion, uh, at least for rosé wines. 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you can't talk rosé without talking Provence, I, I don't think. And, uh, and and you kind of, um, you almost can't talk Provence without talking Whispering Angel. Um, Sasha Lachine, um, a genius, he was a, a guest um, on The Drinking Hour back in uh, episode 23. Uh, fascinating chat. Um, Whispering Angel is only, what, I think 17 years old as a brand. What he did and what Whispering Angel um, has done as a brand has been completely sort of pivotal to the story of of modern rosé, hasn't it? Uh, I think with with uh, what Sasha Lishin did, it was simply a, a, a game changer. I told you earlier, I don't have a a, a time that I can pinpoint where where I start to so say this. Uh, I I'm, now I'm going to start drinking rosé wines because it, it happened. Gradually, as as I gained knowledge, I told you in a second ago, but I do remember the first time I tasted uh, Chateau d'Esclat, and it was phenomenal. And it demonstrated uh, that it was possible for for rosé wine to be a, a, a world class wine, and and also he he also demonstrated how to build a brand. It, it, what he did was incredible. But he at the time he. He had some, he built an amazing uh, team of of, of um, around him, uh, not so much the, uh, as well as winemaking. I think it was Patrick Leon that came from Chateau Mouton, if I'm not mistaken, but also people on 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 the communication side. So he 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 knew exactly what what he was doing, and he's been. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about uh, wine, if you, they, they talk about California, you mentioned Robert Mondavi and so on. I think he's he's done he's done to Provence what uh, what Mondavi did to California. Yeah, a, a, an amazing guy, and uh, as I said, a fascinating chat back in uh, episode 23. Um, Rose wine is, uh, and I think uh, Sasha Lachine made this point, is is quite difficult um, to make. Why is it so potentially? complicated to make as a wine? A lot of the wines in the past, they were not made with rosé in mind. They were made as a byproduct of red wines. Because to make great rosé wine, it requires skill. I mean, especially we're not even, especially if you're talking about sparkling rosé, but we're just talking about rosé still wine. It's, a, it's quite tricky to have enough fruit or sufficient fruit without losing uh, freshness. So to make, uh, really to make a good uh, rosé, I think we need to start with a very clear idea of what the winemaker uh, wants to achieve. And this is not uh, at the time of picking grapes. I think it's, it's much earlier than that. It's, it's actually identifying the right plots to have the, the, the appropriate viticultural uh, program, treat the vines differently. Um, I think it requires a lot of money investment, and by that I mean workers. They have to be ready to to pick there and then. Uh, there's a very short picking window. Ideally, it be picked uh, at certain times of of the day or night. So it's not so easy. Also, I mean, it's almost impossible uh, to make a good rosé without uh, technology. By that I mean uh, temperature control. So it's it's I think as you said it's, it it requires a lot of skill. It's not just um, uh, okay we're going to make a rosé wine and and make a, a, a rush decision and off you go, because I think the whole secret for me of, of rosé it's it's 
not so much the power or whatever. It, it is the, 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 the texture. I really judge, I, I like to, to look at the texture of, of, of a rosé uh, and obviously the, the freshness as well. So it's, it's not easy to achieve that. Absolutely. I, I think all those um, dials being in, you know, exactly the right place is, is just is so crucial. Um, just explain for those listening who aren't winemakers and uh, are curious, just explain the different methods that can be used um, to make rosé wine. Well, I think uh, I have to think, think quickly and define what is, what is a rosé. I think rosé is anything that goes in colour between a white wine and, and, and a red wine. But uh, and I think most people listening to this would know that uh, the, the colour of, of a red wine, even for a Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, comes from, from the skins itself. So you can actually make a Cabernet Sauvignon white wine if you just press it quickly and remove it from its, from its, its skin. So to make rosé wine, I think the, 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 there are several methods. The, 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 I think the most used is um, just a short maceration in skins, as I just described. So you press the wine, let, leave it on skins. Let's say if you're talking about Grenache, probably an hour or one or two hours will be sufficient, depending on the style you're trying to achieve. If you look at a Cabernet Sauvignon, maybe a little bit longer. But... Um, this is probably the most used method I just described, just leaving on the skin. There are other ways. Um, you can just uh, pick the berries and leave them a whole bunch, just uh, macerating overnight and then press next morning. That will give you a, a little bit of color. You can um, blend white and red. It's not generally allowed in, you, in, in Europe. Uh, champagne can, can can do that. It's 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 not allowed in Europe, but champagne has an exception. So you can make uh, rosé blending white and red. There is also one more exception uh, in obscure region of of Portugal where they have dispensation. They can do they can blend white and and, and red. This is uh, yeah, but this is an exception. You can co-ferment white and and um, red varieties. Uh, to do that, it's done in many parts of uh, Austria and Germany, for example. And I think I alluded earlier, another way of making rosé is by a method called saigné, which is basically drawing part of the must in, in the red wine uh, to concentrate the, the color and the flavors. And this is a, this is a, 10 years ago, to give you an idea, David, this is accounted for 99% of the uh, of claret wines made in Bordeaux. So they were actually not making rose. They were making red wine and rose was a byproduct of the red wine making, but that was a huge part of the production. So I think those are, those are the methods that I can remember. It's co-fermenting, uh, macerating, depending, uh, but the, the, the majority of, of the, the, the rose wines that I encounter is just made, made by um, uh, skin maceration. Right, great. Well, that's that's very comprehensive, and I I didn't know that about that uh, small region in in Portugal either. That's uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, it's, it's actually, I just remember it's called Medieval de Oren. You know, right. if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's, this is a wine, and, and the reason they got the dispensation is because uh, it, it was made by a religious order since the 12th, 13th century, and they just kept that tradition going, and when the EU uh, 
uh, disallowed that they they uh, they anyway they the whole legal thing after many many years they they were allowed to to carry on doing it uh, and uh, it's too it's a wide variety eighty uh, percent is a, a wide variety called Fernand Pires that start to ferment and then people add twenty uh, percent of another red variety called Trincadera and it's uh, yeah it's a it's a deep rich uh, darker style of wine. Ah, great. Well, this is ha- this is the great uh, advantage of having a an authority on uh, Portuguese wine. Uh, talking um, uh, rosé. Um, what about colour then? Because consumers have almost been conditioned now to believe that pale equals dry, and that mm-hmm. pale is the best. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, although I love pale Provençal rosé, um, that's a bit misleading to think that, isn't it? Uh, David, I agree with you. Uh, in my opinion, paler is best. I enjoy uh, the pale styles of wine. I enjoy the wines uh, from Provence, especially. But uh, having uh, seen uh, all the entries that we had at IWSC uh, last week, I am a little bit um, concerned. Uh, and I think it's a shame because although uh, we like uh, rosé uh, uh, to be pale, we're losing a little bit of diversity. And I think a lot of wine countries, a lot, a lot of wine regions are trying to copy what Provence is doing. They see the success of Provence. You mentioned the amazing figures at the beginning. And obviously people are trying to copy that. I sort of understand that, but I don't think uh, that that is the solution. I mean... The, uh, I saw a flight of, of, of uh, wines from Bordeaux, which tended to be much deeper in, in, in the past. Uh, a whole flight, they, they all look like Provence uh, Rosé. Uh, so I think it's, uh, I agree, I, I like, but we should not uh, uh, sacrifice so much uh, diversity. Yeah, I agree. And some of the, the most interesting Rosé wines I've tasted have, have been from places other than Provence. You know, they've, they've been from Spain or uh, from Italy and they've been quite dark in colour and they've been absolutely delicious. So it, uh, it it concerns me as well, although, you know, for me, uh, pale Provence rosé is, is, is the sort of holy grail, I suppose. Um, the other thing that I've noticed that uh, there's a perception that uh, rosé wine cannot age and of course, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these wines uh, are absolutely made to drink. You talked about your mm-hmm. time as a buyer and that mm-hmm. um, that fear that you'd have unsold stock um, and mm-hmm. that it wouldn't sell next year. Because especially in France, they're obsessed with the most recent vintage of, of rosé. They, they think that's going to be the kind of the freshest wine. But rosé mm-hmm. really can age if it's good enough, can't it? Well, this this is the thing. I I, I remember uh, going back uh, twenty years, and and as as I described, if you had uh, rosés uh, stocks left by uh, end of September, you were in trouble. But the, the wines were made uh, as byproduct, not as rosé, so the acidity was much lower, the pH was much higher. They would simply not age. They would not make into into the next spring. They would be brown and lose all the fruit. Now today, if you are uh, making the wines, as, as we discussed earlier, and really looking at the best plots and, and, and farming uh, the grapes, looking to make good rosé, you have lovely, lovely vibrancy of fruit, lovely freshness, and, um, and consequently a slightly lower alcohol and, and slightly lower pH, and that would uh, undoubtedly give um, the wine more longevity. 
So rosé is not made uh, for aging, but it should it should age. Maybe we don't we don't want our rosés to be in a cellar for the next five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, some of them actually, I think, uh, some of the best wines now can uh, reach that. But uh, they should at least uh, be drinkable, if not imp- even improved the next within two or three years. Yeah, I've done that. I've experimented with keeping a few of my favourite wines, uh, and they're good ones, from Provence, um, and keeping them uh, to the following year uh, just to mm. see how they evolve. And I've really enjoyed doing that. And they have often been even more delicious um, a year on. And we gave a, a gold medal. In fact, the panel that I was judging on gave a gold medal to uh, a wine from 2019. Um, and it was uh, an, a, a gold medal that was um, verified uh, by you, of course, as, as you mm-hmm. do when you're in that uh, hot seat. This was um, Chateau Lagordon, La Cirque de Grieve, 2019, Côte de Provence. An absolutely stunning wine. And there we are, 2019 vintage. That says, oh, I mean, if, if when the wines are made at that level, the mindset of making wine from beginning to end to, 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 to wine to be enjoyed now and to be able to withstand uh, one or two years of aging. And I remember tasting that wine that your panel selected, and I thought, this, this is excellent. It had, had a little bit of age. I, I, and it was, there was no detriment of the fruit profile whatsoever. There was the wine was still lovely and fresh, and what it gained, in my opinion, was lovely, lovely subtlety and great texture, and uh, no doubt that's a, that's a, a, a gold uh, medal wine and, and deservedly so, and that shows that rosé can and does, and when when it's well made, can and does age well. And how do you um, assess um, the quality? of a rosé wine? What are you looking for um, to go for those top uh, medals? I basically use the same parameters uh, I use to judge other wines. Uh, I look for intensity, concentration on the palate especially. Uh, I look for harmony, for balance, complexity. I want the wines to, to have a sense of place and to have the the varietal definition, so that's that's how I uh, I look at most wines. And for rosé, it's it's pretty similar. I am less uh, one of the things I use for for especially red wines, but also whites, is the potential for aging. A great wine has the potential for aging. I am less concerned uh, when I uh, judge uh, rosé about its potential for aging. I, we just said it. I think if the wines can age for three, two, three years, great. But in in the rosé term, I am less concerned. I'm I'm not saying I'm I, I'm not concerned at all. But I am less concerned. But I'm more concerned with purity of fruit. I am more concerned. I look at its texture. Uh, I, I, I rosé for me is oh, in how how it was pressed, how it was made. Uh, how has it been working? Has it been under any oak or any lease work, I, texture for me is it's of, of, of great importance. And uh, the last, but one of the most important things that I look for is the ability to, to refresh. I mean, it has to have a lovely, uh, pleasant finish, but it has to leave you uh, refreshed. And that's, that's probably one of, the, one of the things I look for, for most in, in Rosé. Yeah, absolutely. And were you impressed by the calibre generally of the wines that were 
passing your table. Just to explain to those what I'm referring to, um, uh, Junior uh, will sit at a um, at a table at the at the edge of the judging session. There are perhaps uh, six or seven different judging panels, each consisting of a minimum of three judges. Some, uh, often it's four judges, and they are they are assessing the wines. But uh, then Junior is sitting there and reassessing uh, many of the wines where the panels don't agree or just checking that the the correct medals are being given and I think you assess all contenders for strong silver and, and gold as well so that's what you do um, were you impressed by by what you uh, tasted first I was pretty impressed by the judges I think they did a fantastic job I mean they all uh, amazing professionals so they did an, an excellent job which makes my life pretty easy but overall uh, in terms of the wines I was impressed by the consistency of the quality of the wines entry in, in general. I like to see more entries. I like to see better quality uh, entered. I think producers should understand, they, they must understand that those wines are going to be assessed by great professionals, most of, of, of whom are buyers uh, of very, very important uh, businesses in, in the UK. So they're going to be pretty well respected and well handled and well judged. So I think the, the IWC is giving Rosé uh, the focus it, it deserves. And now it's up to the producers to, to take this opportunity. So was I impressed? Yes. But I think the producers can submit even better wines because they will be, they will be pretty well judged. Mm, and there are some amazing wines being made. And there are also some price points that 30 years ago you might have uh, not believed could be achieved for rosé wine, I suspect. So, for example, from Sacha Lachine, we were talking about him and uh, Chateau d'Esclat. Garrus is £100 a bottle. Um, I was somewhat sceptical about that until I tasted it. And then I thought, wow, yes, that's kind of that's worth a hundred pounds a bottle and the price points really that we are talking proper premium wines now aren't we yes we are and in, in, in at first glance for rosé which we're going back uh, as we started this conversation there was a fairly unsophisticated category uh, now we're talking about a hundred pounds a bottle it's it's, it's uh, yeah it's it's a uh, it's a big jump but uh, having said that, I think it's what all, all we need to do is respect what, what the, the wine producers are, are, are doing. We should applaud. And as long as the wines are offering the consumer good value, um, I, I don't have a problem with it at all. So it, it, as you said, it was a great bottle of wine. It was a hundred pound bottle of wine. But uh, if you look at what's behind the wine, how it was made, the vineyards and the care that was taken, I don't think it owes anything uh, to a top burgundy. If you look at uh, uh, a Garros today, hundred pounds, it, it probably is, is a bargain. If you consider, uh, if you compare that against a top end white burgundy from uh, a good vineyard, so why not? Absolutely, or a a, a really good bottle of champagne. Frankly, <laughs> um, it's uh, you'd be paying, uh, you know, definitely north of um, of that uh, price point beyond Provence, because we've talked about the great success of Provence. Uh, where else excites you for rosé wines, David? There are so many uh, great rosé wines from all over the world. I mean, 
Provence for me is the benchmark. I love the wines from Provence, but also around Provence, it's uh, all the sub-region satellite places, Languedoc-Roussillon in general, they're making great uh, rosé. You're going to see uh, good silver. I mean, this uh, IWSC is, has very, very high standards. So a silver medal at IWSC, it's, it's, it's exceptional. I would reach out for a bottle of, of, uh, of wine if it had a, a silver medal. And you're going to see silver medal in bottles of wines from a lot of different uh, regions in France, Bordeaux, Alsace, uh, south of France, as I said. But I think Greece, there's some delicious wines, uh, slightly more obscure from Greece, uh, you certainly will find uh, great wines from Corsica, from uh, from in Italy in general, from Trentino, from Veneto, from Puglia. I am, I have discovered recently some exceptionally good uh, rosé wines from late ripening varieties from the Douro. And as you said earlier, uh, I think Spain. I mean Spain, they they they, they have some. Great examples, and I'm, I'm just uh, something came to my mind now. I remember walking around Logroño, going from tapas bar to tapas bar, and they were offering this phenomenal barrel fermented tempranillo from a top producer. It wasn't it was a uh, it wasn't a cheap wine. It was actually for for Rioja, for a rosé especially. It was quite. Um, it was quite expensive, but uh, they, were, they were having this with some amazing tapas, and, and it was phenomenal. So I think you, you can, beyond Provence, there are so many different um, regions that we can visit. But I, I, what, uh, the point I made earlier about uh, this loss of, uh, the, uh, of diversity because people are just looking for slightly paler wines, it's, it concerns me a little bit because I like to see a wine list in the restaurant, not to have one or two or three. I, I should have a rosé list and it will be a serious list as a white wine or as a red wine list. But for that to to to, to take place, we really need the diversity. A, a Chiaretto, a Bardolino Chiaretto has to taste like a, a Bardolino Chiaretto. Let a Provence uh, wine taste like Provence wines, which that's what we love. But uh, uh, the, but we need some stuff from all those countries in terms of different aromas, different flavors, different textures. So I'm... I'd love to see more of, of, of that in order to, to give that diversity. But so beyond Provence, there's so many places to explore. But people should respect the, their own varieties and their own terroir and not just try to copy Provence. No, I couldn't agree more. And on that point, on, on wine lists, it's um, it's so frustrating when you look at a, a wine list that's got a load of white wines, a load of red wines, a load of sparkling wines, and then one rosé or something. It, 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 I, I find it enormously frustrating, especially if it's a beautiful sunny day and it's lunchtime. And, and you, you, I just like to have a choice, really. But um, that hopefully that, that, will, that will change. You mentioned um, some barrel influence there, because most of the rosé wines we get uh, tend to come you know, in, in, from stainless steel or, or maybe mm-hmm. uh, concrete. But um, where are you when it comes to kind of um, barrel influence on rosé wines? I, I am not a great fan. Uh, I think uh, rosé for me, it's, it's, uh, it's all about uh, vibrancy and freshness. But when we're talking about top-end quality and if the, if the vines have, uh, have been uh, low-yielding and they have enough fruit and concentration to withstand barrel uh, aging. I don't see a problem. Um, maybe you just use uh, less uh, toasted barrel or slightly larger barrel or 
older barrel because that's going to develop texture. I don't want I don't want uh, to be drinking a very oaky rosé, but uh, I think a rosé with uh, with uh, with the the texture that, that a barrel can can give. I don't I don't have a problem at all. Yes, and um, I was somewhat sceptical, but actually, as long as it is just uh, relatively background in influence, I, I think you're absolutely right. That that textural contribution can be phenomenal. Um, yeah. What about um, food pairing? Because, um, again, um, uh, one of the things that uh, occasionally frustrates me is that um, people just don't realise how amazing uh, rosé wine is uh, for food pairing. Well... Let's talk about pairing. I think the, the, my favorite pairing for, <laughs> for rosé is sunshine. I mean, the sun comes out and I'm running to my cellar for, for a bottle of, of rosé. But uh, rosé should not be associated only with that. Uh, it, it's so great with uh, different types of food. I'm going to be very controversial now. Uh, if, if I say something, uh, simple people are just not going to take. But I, uh, one of the good food bearings. I'm not going to say it's my favorite, but you should try it once. It's to try um, rosé with lamb. But as, as long as the lamb is not is cooked rare, it can work. If the rosé has enough structure, it can work. So there's a slightly controversial uh, mm, food bearing yeah. there. But um, apart from that, I mean, honestly, uh, salads. For me, if, if uh, light salads, fish, obviously, red mullets, Whatever you can think of, sea bass, a salmon for me. I don't know because of the color of the salmon, the color of rosé, but I love um, uh, rosé with salmon. Any any uh, shellfish does well. Crab works well. I think uh, any light pasta dish. Uh, I mean, it's so versatile. It's uh, it's incredible. As long as this is, the, the dish is not too rich and too powerful, not too spicy, I think rosé can can be. Uh, hugely versatile we just have to 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 to, to try and, and to explore and to enjoy my favorite is with things uh, like well any kind of asian inspired cuisine mm. actually but i particularly those sort of chicken sort of satay flavors so the kind mm. of nuttiness and the richness satay also thai green curry when i do mm. kind of consumer masterclasses, i say once you have a, a really good Provence rosé and a Thai green curry, you'll never have white wine or beer with a curry ever again. It's just, it's phenomenal. It's it's it's, it's actually great with spice, isn't it? It is. It is great with the, with that. As long as uh, if if the spice, whatever the spices have been used on those cuisines, either, I don't know, coriander or saffron and cumin, as, as long as the, those spices are not too... Uh, heavily handed they they yeah they work beautifully mm, yeah well I'm making myself uh, hungry now um, so what do you think um, the future is finally for rosé you know it, we, we've discussed the way it has transformed and the way that uh, perceptions of it have changed as well and we've discussed the way it's just taken so much more seriously now and it is of course that much more successful too what do you think is uh the, the future for rosé it's it, it surely it's going to grow and grow isn't it i think so i hope so you share some great stats early uh, in our conversation uh if you look at the last year rosé was growing whatever way you look at either by value by volume or average price per bottle it was growing in every way so in that respect i th i'm pretty confident that will, will continue i 
love to see, I mean, what, what's going to happen, what I would like to happen so are two different things. But I love to see more diversity. I'm slightly concerned that everyone is trying to copy one region. And that's dangerous. Everyone, you know, just be yourself. Be give the sense of place that that your vineyard is uh, provided you. Don't try to copy anything else. Uh, but the future is, I think, better quality. You're gonna see higher price points for sure. Uh, but the whole um, healthy eating will, will carry on helping this trend of of us enjoying more and more rosé. I. Uh, and as we discussed earlier, I think IWC gave uh, Rosé the focus it deserved. Uh, I hope the producers see this as an opportunity because if not, it will be a shame. It's, I think it's the first uh, competition to act, to do that, to focus only on, on that, or give one, one uh, uh, focus on Rosé just uh, as, as a category. And it would be great to see uh, amazing wines. I, I was uh, judging a competition not long ago uh, and all the top producers from that specific country, all of them entered their best wines. And I'd like to see the same thing with, with, uh, with IWC, because since there is focus on rosé, enter your, your best wines, benchmark against the best. You'll be good for the producers. You'll be good for the category. A rising tide floats all boats and all the rest of it. Well, I've made myself hungry and thirsty now talking about rosé and it's uh, just about, uh, the sun is just about shining outside uh, as well. So thank you so much. It's uh, always a great pleasure to uh, chat to you, Junior, and to have the benefit of your experience. And here's to uh, a glass of rosé next time I see you. David, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for, for inviting me again and carry on enjoying rosé, not only you, but all your listeners. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Okay, well, before we go, having heard about that rigorous judging process uh, led by uh, Dersel Fianna Jr. MW, or Junior as we know him, uh, let's reflect on uh, some of those winners at the IWSC uh, in that rosé category. Uh, and these are the first wine winners uh, from the 2022 judging process that we're bringing you. Uh, these were announced uh, earlier this week, so it's kind of hot off the press. Just under 20% of the rosé tasted uh, received 90 points or over, so that's a silver medal or above. Uh, so that's uh, gold and silver. Uh, they were all from what we tend to call uh, the old world, incidentally. Uh, although there are some uh, you know, fantastic rosé wines in what we call the new world too. One gold medal was awarded. Uh, we referenced uh, this briefly in our chat earlier on. I was uh, a judge on the panel that awarded uh, this particular honour um, and we gave this particular wine 96 points. Uh, so we uh, liked it. Uh, well done to Chateau La Gordon, Les Cirques de Grieve 2019, Côte de Provence which comes with impeccable credentials as the estate can trace its history back to the 1600s and it's now part of the Champagne House, Vranken Pommery, uh, which tells you all you need to know about the uh, success of uh, Provence Rosé. Um, this is a 2019 vintage, as we mentioned, uh, just underlining that point about ageing potential. Uh, the wine is uh, rich, uh, textured, deliciously creamy, uh, with refreshing, zesty, pink citrus, stone fruit, 
lick of minerality. Uh, what's not to love? A, a premium style, around £60 a bottle and uh, worth every penny, uh, quite frankly, if you can uh, afford it. Then Provence overall received uh, 26 silver medals. And here are three more of the strongest performers, uh, each with 94 points, just a tantalising point short of a gold medal. Uh, well done to uh, Domaine de Cala, Cote Valois 2021. Uh, Valois is one of the three Van de Provence appellations, uh, celebrated for its uh, mineral-driven wines, uh, lovely acidity to them. Uh, Chateau de Saint-Martin, Grand Reserve, Cote de Provence 2021, was also a silver medal winner. Uh, Chateau de Saint-Martin is a Provence Grand Cru Class A wine, and the historic uh, Provençal grape Tiburin um, is grown there, and it adds complexity and depth. Uh, it's a component part in this wine, around 40% Tiburin in that particular wine. And the third top silver performer from Provence was uh, Chateau Maim, Promise, Cote de Provence 2021. Uh, Cote de Provence is the biggest of those Van de Provence appellations by some margin. Uh, it has uh, a number of subzones within it, uh, such as the uh, diversity within that Cote de Provence appellation. It wasn't just about Provence, of course. Other highlights uh, included a, a rosé Pinot Noir from Alsace that uh, was a silver medal winner, uh, La Cave des Vignerons de Pfaffenheim, Le Garide Grand Rosé 2019, uh, quite a mouthful, that one. One from Bordeaux as well, Diane by Jacques Lerton, 2021, received uh, 91 points. Uh, there was also silver success for the huge Languedoc-Roussillon region that uh, Junior was mentioning there, uh, receiving uh, five silvers for rosé wines. Uh, also silver success for Greece, Italy, Spain and Portugal, all of which uh, we uh, touched on in the chat. Uh, you can find out more by going to the iwsc.net and searching on the results tab. That's it for another edition of the Drinking Hour. My thanks to Junior for a fascinating chat. Hopefully we've uh, whetted your appetite for at least a glass of rosé. Uh, you can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. And I am Mr Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter for all things rosé and more. Uh, do join us next time if you can. For now, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.